Welcome to the Dr. Lori Marvis podcast, and today I'm so excited to introduce Mr. Tom Venuto, who's a long-term virtual friend of mine, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy this uh, conversation that we're going to have. And so, Tom, how are you doing today? Great, thanks. Good. And, you know, um, Tom's been a really, I think, a crucial aspect of my learning about fitness and exercise and how the physical element is so important along with mindset because you do a lot of that good stuff and um, especially in what we call it's the the burn the fat inner circle which I became a member I don't know almost 10 years ago I think mm -hmm. and um, you know Tom is some really cool stuff and it's, the book he wrote was burn the fat feed the muscle and uh, could you just give us a little bit about your background and how that all kind of came about and then we'll get into you know the really exciting thing you have coming up here in May sure yeah well I've been into the fitness industry for almost 30 years now. It makes me sound pretty old. <laughs> I'm only 48, but I started pretty young. I started lifting when I was only 14 and uh, really enjoyed it. And then when I found out that uh, you could have a career out of this, there was a, uh, a degree in exercise physiology I uh, majored in in college. And uh, right after I graduated, I started training people in gyms and uh, managing gyms. And uh, then the internet age came upon us and I found out that you could do it online too. So uh, I went more virtual instead of bricks and mortar. So um, still doing it to this day. How did that actually, the burn the fat, feed the muscle, how did that title come about? How did the whole in inner circle come around? I mean, I found that it's a, it's a, a wonderful community and I, I love it there. It's a great, really, really great group, very supportive group of people. Well, the uh, book, uh, I first wrote it in 2002 and self-published it. So it's been around for a long time. It's been through some revisions, so it's, it's newer and more up-to-date now. But the way it came about is uh, when I would train my clients, personal training clients, uh, I really didn't have much control over what they did after they left the gym. So they could really undo all of the work that was done in the gym if they just weren't eating the right things. So I, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a clinical nutritionist, but I wanted to give them some general guidance on, on what to eat and emphasize how important nutrition is to get results from you know, all this work they're, they're doing in the gym. So I kept giving them these handouts. These I, I would type up these little uh, reports on nutrition and give them, and eventually uh, they kind of piled up into uh, a stack, and then it was a binder that I was giving people, and then I said to myself, you know, this, this could actually turn into a book, you know, all this information I've been giving. And so I did, that's exactly what I did. I, I kind of made it a cohesive book, put it all together, and uh, I, I was told that as a uh, a personal trainer who's never been published before, you'll never get a major publisher. But I learned about this thing called ebooks. So I said, that sounds pretty cool. People can just download it anywhere in the world. So I created it as an ebook, and people started downloading Burn the Fat, Feed the Muscle back in 2002. And it's, and it's still going strong to this day. Uh, just three years ago, we finally did put it into hardcover uh, with um, Random House, uh, a New York City publisher, and now it's gotten out to uh, an even, even bigger group of people. And it's starting to get translated. Chinese, Russian, German, uh, Italian, so it's all over the world now. I bet that's fun to actually look at your book and see it in different languages. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so the Burn the Fat Inner Circle was just the next evolution. It's We wanted to put together a community, a support community for people who had read the book and were following a program in the book because uh, it's really it gives you everything you need to know to do it on your own, but it's better when you have support when you have a support group and when you have accountability to other people, it just helps you stick to the program a lot more. Plus, there's continuing education because there's always new research coming out and new things to learn. So people come to the VernaFatInnerCircle.com website for support and to keep learning more. So now you have help, I'm assuming, running it because there's a lot of people on there. Yeah, I mean, at any given month, there's thousands of active members, and uh, we have a great team. We run fitness competitions to help people get motivated, and we have um, people helping us run that, and we have online trainers that answer questions on the forums. And I'm in there almost every day myself answering questions, too, and it's really fun to interact with everybody online. Cool. And now you're in New Jersey right now. Yeah, I'm in North Jersey in the uh, New York City area. Okay. And you went to California this last summer. And did some, yeah. some hiking. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I was born in California in the Bay Area in, uh, in Santa Clara. So I've always, I've always liked California. I had a lot of great memories when I was a kid there. And uh, I started, you know, uh, about 15 years ago, I started going back to visit just for vacation because I really enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed uh, Carmel and Monterey and San Francisco and the Redwoods. And 
uh, I decided uh, I was thinking about maybe maybe I wanted to move out there, move back move back to where I was born. But I wasn't ready to you know pack everything up, leave my family and friends out here. So I said, oh, I'm going to do the next best thing. I'm going to move out there for the summer. So uh, I stayed in Mill Valley, California, and I this time I really went out and explored. I went hiking. I went hiking in the mountains, out into the uh, Mount Lassen, Mount Shasta, Yosemite. Um, I had a chance to day hike Mount Whitney, the tallest mountain in the in the U.S. And I just I had a blast. It was fantastic. And um, I was thinking about coming back and do it again next year. But I wanted to do something you know a little bigger, more adventurous. When I was out there hiking, I kept coming across the Pacific Crest Trail. And I actually went out and did some day hikes on it. And uh, it, the scenery is just incredible. The Ansel Adams Wilderness, and it passes through Yosemite. It's, just, it's absolutely beautiful. And I heard that people actually hike the whole thing. And it runs 2,650 miles from Mexico to, the, to Canada. And I, and I said, I, I want to do that. <laughs> it seemed crazy. I even was talking myself out of it, saying, are you crazy? You're not really going to, you're not going to hike to the Crest Trail. But it's one of those ideas. It got into my head last year when I was just out visiting, and I couldn't get it out of my head. And then it just became an obsession. And now here we are. It's just a few weeks away from uh, starting at the Mexican border. <laughs> and it becomes an obsession. I love that. Um, you know, just hiking, it's 2,650 miles. I mean, that's incredible. And now you're leaving from the Mexican border in May, and you'll that's go, right. it goes up the coast of Oregon, Washington, into the Canadian border. It goes up the crest. It's actually okay. not a coastal trail. So it's, oh, up, okay. it's up there in the mountains. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So you're actually much higher than along the coast. Yeah, even when you start at the desert, you're starting off at about 3,000 feet elevation. Quickly, you get up to 5,000. And then by the time you get up into the Sierras, you're starting off around 9,000, 10,000. And the highest pass on the trail is Forester Pass, which is 13,200 feet, where the air is pretty thin. Oh, my goodness. And so what are, how many days are you planning to use to actually converse the trail? It's probably going to take me at least four months. Four I'm putting months. together an itinerary that's going to be – I never really know because it depends how I feel – if I'm sore one day, if I feel like I'm getting an injury, I need to. I might need to back off. If I feel good, I may need to pick up the pace. But uh, it sounds crazy, but my pace is going to be about a marathon a day, about 26, 25, 26 miles a day, as long as the terrain and the weather is permitting. Because the snow up in the mountains is really heavy this year, and that's going to be a slower section. But I see. but that'll get me done in about four months, four and a half months. So now you're coming from the bodybuilding world and and lifting because you were competitive until what year? Uh, so about uh, 2005 was my last competition. Between, between 1989 and 2005, I competed in uh, 28 bodybuilding competitions, all natural bodybuilding where they do uh, drug testing and it's all steroid-free, drug-free. That's the way to go. Okay. Oh, absolutely. And so, but I mean, if you follow you on Facebook or Instagram, it's about, you know, pictures of another gym and whatever. Right. I mean, so how, how, are your, how are your friends responding to this? Is this... Because it's a different culture from what you're doing and going to. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the exact opposite of anything I've ever done before. I mean, my whole life, it's about, hey, let's see how much muscle mass I can build. Let's see how much bigger I can get. And it was about muscle and physique and strength. And now this is, even though it's not running, it is an endurance. It's an endurance of, you know, walking 20, if you, whether you walk a marathon or run a marathon, it's still a marathon. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it's been a complete shift and uh, it's been a little uh, you know, it's been a little tough for me to adjust. You know, it's been a lot of, there's been some conflict in my own mind. Mm -hmm. And then some of my, you asked about my friends, some of my friends and colleagues, um, you know, they were, they, they thought it was crazy. Like, what are you, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> you know, you're going to lose all your gains was the, that was the first, the first <laughs> thing that my friend said to me, you're going to lose all your gains. And, okay. and I probably will lose some muscle. Uh, I'm going to, um, try to lift once or twice a week because even though this is way out in the backcountry and up in the mountains, mm -hmm. you have to get off the side trails to go resupply and get your food. So those towns that those side trails lead to, they have grocery stores for food, and most of them have gyms too. So I said, well, I might as well lift at least once or twice a week. And everybody said, you'll never do it. You're going to be too tired. After you walk 20 miles or 30 miles a day, you're never going to want to lift. But that's the plan, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> so not only are you <laughs> Okay, so you're not only going to walk 2,650 miles, but you're going to walk a marathon a day and continue lifting at least twice a week. That's yeah, so it's not my usual routine. Usually <laughs> I'd be lifting five days a week. Okay. You know, okay. so it won't be anything like that. Um, I don't think it'll be that tough to do upper body. Legs might be tough. I don't know if I'll feel like squatting yeah. after a long day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a fabulous. I mean, um, as you know, I'm a big fan of endurance, at, af, you know, athletes and activities because I, I love to run myself. And uh, so... 
when you start, are you you're going to be by yourself this whole time? Um, well, I'm going to start solo, and I'm doing it solo and unsupported. Uh, most people actually do start solo because it's really tough to find another person who's equally as crazy as you are to go with you. <laughs> Right. Uh, but um, people who have done the trail before say you meet a lot of people on the trail. Oh, wow. uh, the the crowd kind of get thins out because maybe only 20% of the people finish. So by the time you're up in Oregon and Washington, you may not be bumping into as many people. But especially in the early part of the trail, there's other people starting a trail with you. Um, you meet people, you make friends, kind of make a new uh, trail family. And sometimes you might want to hike by yourself, and sometimes you might meet someone and you might hike with someone else for a day. Okay. Some people like to get together up in the mountains when it gets a little sketchy through the snow and route finding. You can't see the trail if it's covered with snow and you got to cross, you know, these streams that are swollen with all the snow melt. So a lot of people, you know, they make friends and get together and go through those tough areas with other people sometimes. But it's really up to you to do it however you want to do it. You know, people, the, the saying on the trail is hike your own hike. So you can do it any way you want. It makes sense. So now you have a food plan, I'm assuming, like how many pounds of food and water will you be carrying and how many days will you go out and then come back i mean the logistics of this is it's it's quite intriguing it's it's interesting it's in, it's involved and when i first started thinking about the logistics of resupplying food and managing the water i was i was pretty overwhelmed but then when i started to look at all the resupply locations uh it it didn't seem quite so overwhelming but it does take some planning there's some stretches where you might only go a day or two and there's a resupply spot. There's either you cross a road that leads to a town, or there's a backcountry uh, campground or something that has a you know an old uh, country store, and then you can pick up food there. So you got to know the distance from uh, where you're starting to where the next resupply point is, and know how much food you need each day, stock up and carry to get you from one point to the next. So I, I kind of look at it like um, just so it's not overwhelming. I kind of look at it that way, like a bunch of little day hikes all linked together. So I just got to get to the next resupply point. So, you know, for example, when I start at the Mexican border, I only need to take maybe a day or two of food because at, at mile 20, there's a place I can get some food. And at mile 43, there's a place I can get some food. So uh, I don't have to carry. But what I do have to carry is four or five, who knows, maybe six liters of water. And I have to watch the, uh, which is heavy. That's two pounds per liter. So that gets heavy real fast because the whole Southern California is basically a desert. And it could be over. It could be over 100 degrees. So we watch the water report too. There's uh, fortunately there's apps and there's websites online we can go to, and check uh, what water sources are flowing. And you know, early in the season when there was a heavy snow or heavy rain in the spring, the creeks are flowing, so we're good. And other times they're completely dry, and we don't really know if it's a seasonal creek or spring if it's running. So uh, fortunately today we can look online and see the people who are, went up the trail ahead of us they can send back information for us, and we know how much water to carry from one spot to the next. That's actually really helpful. So if the water's running, what are you using, some like a clearly filtered water bottle? Yeah, or? yeah. There's there's bugs you want to watch out for, Giardia and Cryptosporidium and all kinds of other Me. creepy crawlers in the, yeah, <laughs> in, in the water. So uh, I filter. Most people filter all their water, um, sometimes not up in the mountains when you can see this, you know, you see that it's melting right up above you and, you know, this is just snow melting. But even then, there's that uh, pink snow that's got these bacteria. So if you want to be on the safe side, you just you filter everything. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit of a pain, but it's just it's better than being sick on the trail. Yeah, that would not be fun. That would end your hike early. <laughs> it can. So I'm curious. So then you're bringing your food, you're bringing your water. How Are you bringing like a one-man tent? How is that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The big three of your equipment is your pack. You need a pack that can hold all the gear. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty amazing. You look at this pack that might have 50, 60 liter capacity total for your, for your gear. Mm -hmm. And it's everything you need to live with wow. for four months. It's pretty cool. It starts to make you think about uh, simplicity, you know, what, you know, because, because you have to bear it down just to the essentials. You just, you just can't, the lighter the pack, the better. You don't want to haul a lot of weight. Otherwise it's just too much stress on your body. So you got the pack. That's the big piece of gear. You got your tent your, or your shelter. Okay. I have a tent. I have a freestanding tent, a one person tent, and it's perfect. It's real easy to set up. Uh, some people will just have a tarp because they only want to see my tent. My tent weighs about 40 ounces, but some people can pare that weight down to 12 ounces or under a pound if they just have a tarp. But then, then they have no protection from the bugs, and you're kind of out in the open. So, you know, again, again, hike your own hike. You can do it. You can go as light as you want. You can go ultralight. Um, I'm going light but not ultralight, so the tent. And then you got your sleeping system, which is your sleeping bag, okay. which has to keep you warm enough. It gets cold 
even in the desert, it gets cold at night, very cold. Okay. Um, some people say that first night you're camping out near the Mexican border uh, can be one of the coldest nights because you're, if you're near the lake, Lake Morena. Okay. And when you get up in the Sierra, even in the middle of the summer, it can be very hot during the day, but there's a huge swing from nighttime to daytime. You can have 70, 80, beautiful weather during the day, and then it can be down in the 30s. And uh, that, I experienced that last year, so I, I knew that you've got to stay warm. You've got to have a warm sleeping bag okay. and a pad. You can have an air. I, I have a great inflatable air mattress, which, again, is a little – it could get punctured by sticklers and cactus and things in the desert, so you have to have a repair kit for that. Or some people prefer just a, a, a pad, a mat, or a closed cell foam, foam pad, and that saves you some weight. So uh, I've gone a little more – I guess you could say luxurious with my uh, with my air mattress, <laughs> and I just hope it doesn't pop. <laughs> yeah, that would be a bummer for sure. So, so you have your sleeping system, your food, the water, the tent. What about like clothes and stuff? I mean, you just bring yeah. like layered, and you just yes, yes. Layering is exactly the word for it. You need a layering system when you're out during the day hiking. You get really warm, even if it's uh, even if it's in the upper 30s or in the 40s. You you might just need one base layer. Otherwise, you'll be sweating. You know, you don't want to have your your down puffy jacket on and you're sweating because then it gets wet and then it, and then when you stop and it gets cold, then you you get hypothermic. So um, you just you have the base layer and you'll probably have a mid layer like a fleece when it gets uh, when you if you need to stop, um, uh, an insulating layer which is usually a puffy jacket, synthetic or down puffy puffy jacket. You can always recommend all the hikers and all the the campgrounds because there's like ten people with these puffy jackets and giant backpacks. And uh, you need a shell. Some people will have a wind shell, a really light wind shell. Um, the wind can get crazy. When you, with, there's some really cool spots of the trail in Southern California, and you go right through the wind farms. And they knew what they were doing when they put those windmills there because these, these little mountain passes and the geography there makes it like a wind tunnel. So that can chill you so you can bring a wind, uh, a wind shell uh, and a rain shell. And the rain gear gets really important when you get up to Washington because if you're getting into Washington in, in uh, September – you're going to get wet. And they say no matter what, you're going to get wet, but, but bring, your, bring your rain gear. So yeah. I lived in not a lot of extra, yeah, not a lot of extra clothes, um, except maybe your socks. So you got to do, you know, you got to do your laundry quite often or, you know, the smell starts to get, <laughs> get bad pretty quick. But stinky hikers, everybody, you know, everybody recognizes the stinky hikers. You pass the day hikers, you know, they're day hikers because you can smell their, uh, you know, their, they smell good. <laughs> they smell clean. Are you using like wool socks or any special type of sock that you're using? Uh, marine, um, merino. Uh -huh, merino wool. One thing you want to avoid is uh, cotton. And you got to take care of your feet, and the socks are really important. So right. most, almost everybody takes at least two pairs, maybe a third pair, um, because blisters can be a big, big issue. That can make, if it doesn't end some people's hikes, it makes them stop for a while because okay. they can get they can get really, really bad. So I'm guessing you're using the same hiking boots that you've been using for a while. Then I've been experimenting with a lot of different shoes, okay. and the interesting thing is that most through hikers now are getting away from those big old-fashioned hiking boots, the Gore-Tex are the ones that are completely waterproof. They're not using mountaineering boots. Um, even, even when they get up in the Sierras, they're not using mountaineering boots. Um, most people aren't even using waterproof boots. They're using um, uh, trail running shoes. Oh, really? Okay. Because for a couple of reasons. One is they're light. Like I have a pair of trail runners, uh, Saucony Peregrines, and they, they weigh about 10 ounces. And I also have a pair of hiking boots I really like, and they're not hiking um, traditional hiking boots. They're light hikers, and they weigh 16 ounces, and they're they're semi-waterproof, and they're they're mid-height. And um, I like them both, but I'm gonna actually probably go against the crowd, and I'm probably gonna wear the, the boots, even though they weigh a pound. There was an old army study that gets quoted all the time that basically says uh, an extra pound on your foot is like f an extra five pounds on your back. So the more weight you have on, on your feet, the more it slows you down. So you want a really lightweight shoe. And the other thing that happens is you're going to get wet. You have to cross streams, especially up in the Sierra. Um, so if you have a shoe that's not waterproof and it's ventilated like those uh, trail runners, um, it, you're going to get wet anyways, but they dry out quickly. So I've kind of gone halfway in between. I decided to go with hiking boots because I got these boots called uh, Hoka's, which they don't make anymore, but that company is known for making extra cushioned shoes. There's been this big trend in running since uh, the Born to Run book came out when everybody's going minimal, you know, barefoot shoes and sandals, or literally barefoot, which you wouldn't want to do on a trail like this, but people going minimal. And, and uh, I, I tried some of those, and it just didn't work. I had foot pain after 10 miles, 12 miles, 15 miles. Just cannot 
uh, it's not for me. I can't do it. So I found out from experimenting with all this different footwear, taking it out on um, on day hikes, that the, the the extra maximal cushion for me. That's how I get 20, 25 miles, and my feet aren't killing me at the end of the day. So yeah, getting the footwear right and the socks really, really important. And I figured that out early. I didn't want to have to work it out while I was out in the trail. Well, and speaking of you know blisters and such, so what type of first aid kit are you going to bring? Being the medical doctor, and I'm very curious. I just got a little medical, a little basic um, first aid kit that uh, I found it on Amazon. That's made for backpackers or hikers. Just got the basic stuff in there. You know, carry you know, a little uh, band aids, Neosporin, <coughs> tweezers. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, so a little bit of gauze, uh, duct tape fixes everything. <laughs> I don't know what else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know what else is in there. Just a little basic um, hikers first aid. Any kit. moleskin for? Yeah, moleskins in there too. Okay. Yeah, I've never had to use it before. Okay. Hold I on. I found out that I got blisters when I was untrained. Like I, between last summer when I got back from my three month um, three months in California, uh, and and the uh, January when I started hiking again, there was about a three month period that I wasn't doing all that much hiking. So when I started back up again after having that layoff from hiking, then I got I got blisters. And that's what happened to me last year too when I first started hiking. I got blisters in the beginning. But once I start walking, I just don't get them anymore. My feet start to get calloused. And um, the last month and a half that I've been out um, doing back, uh, backpacking and shakedown hikes on the Appalachian Trail, I've got zero, zero blisters because my feet are just conditioned now. Nice. I'm sure you'll you'll need a pedicure at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> so that's curious. I'm so you're just gonna let your facial hair grow, your hair grow, or are you gonna um, stay no. trimmed and cut? I think I'm. You know, I'm. I'll let some. Uh, I'll probably sh I'll probably shave every every few days. Every every time I come into town and stay, if I stay into, especially if I stay in a motel, I don't think I'm gonna grow a beard. Everybody asks me, are you gonna grow a beard? All those hikers have beards. But you see, you see the you watch the documentaries on YouTube, and the guys have long hair and beards. They look like this. You know, you're stereotypical. Hiker. Mountain men. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So now when it comes to the water, when you're carrying that much water, are you like a camelback? Is that what you're using or what? Some people do, but most do hikers these days don't. What they what they do is uh I don't know why the smart water bottle becomes so popular. It's a tall, skinny, one liter bottle. Probably because it fits the threads of that bottle fit the uh filter perfectly. Uh, I use a Sawyer water filter. That's the one, one of the most popular. It's a Sawyer squeeze. And I have, um, I'll, I'll probably carry uh, one or two one-liter bottles, depending on where I am, and maybe a, a half that I can clip onto the front of my uh, backpack. And then I also have pouches, which are dirty water. So if I'll go up to the, the creek and fill the pouch up, which is a two-liter pouch, with water from the creek, and then run the filter into my water bottles, and then they'll just go into the side of my pack. So uh, the, water, the amount of water carried just it completely depends on the distance between I'll look at the water report and see where the next, where the next creek is or the next reliable water source, and I'll carry as much as I need to get to that source. When I was up in the Appalachian Trail doing these training hikes this last month, it had been pouring, pouring down rain, so the creeks were full, they were flowing. Every couple of miles, I was crossing over a creek, so I didn't want to carry the extra weight, so I would have just one liter, and I'd be drinking it, so sometimes it, would, it wouldn't even be full, and I just knew that I would, you know, I'd stock up at the next creek. Wow. That's some serious training. So now you're talking about being online and checking water reports. And so what are you going to carry technology-wise with you? What are you going to have, a compass, a map, a phone? I mean, phone. What, are you, what are you doing in that realm? Well, the iPhone is awesome because, for one thing, it's got GPS built in, and it works whether you have a cell phone signal or not. So, if you, so what we do is we download apps that are not just maps, uh, general maps like Google Maps, even though you can use those. They're specific to the trail. And there's one called uh, Gut Hooks, Gut Hooks uh, PCT. Gut G U T. G U T H O O K S. Gut Hook. Um, and he, uh, this person, has created apps for the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail, specific for the trail. And it's an amazing app because it works with the GPS on your phone, and you can see exactly where you are. I mean, literally within yards, you can see which direction you're pointing because there's an arrow like a GPS has. And if you're pointing in the wrong direction, you see that your, your body is literally facing in the wrong direction. So uh, you don't need a compass as long as that your electronics there don't fail. So that's your GPS. And you can see, even if you can't see the trail, if you're up in the Sierras and it's a high snow year in the Sierras right now, it's the highest in over a decade, and people are really kind of worried about it if they don't have navigation skills because you can't see the trail. But you don't have to see the trail. You can just keep looking at your app and see where you are in relation to the trail. And you can, and you actually, if the trail switchbacks, 
up a hill, you don't even have to follow the switchbacks because you may not be able to see them. You may be able to walk on top of the snow as long as you're, you know where you are and you're following in the, in the general right direction. So as a backup, if your app's not working, if you, if you lose your uh, – or if you – people have broken their phones. Um, your battery runs out. I carry an extra battery, too, that will give uh, four or five charges um, to my phone. But I do have uh, paper maps and compass, too, just in case electronics fail. Okay. And then you're speaking as of walking on snow. Do you, will you be bringing snowshoes or some type of gear? No, no snowshoes. Uh, I, I just uh, I'm gonna. That's why I'm gonna take the boots probably right from the Mexican border, and they're they they're said to be waterproof. But um, we had a blizzard out here uh, in March, late season blizzard, and I went out with those same shoes, and I was post holing. It was two feet of snow, and I went out late in the afternoon, and it was perfect practice because by the time I get up there in early July into the Sierras. It's gonna. It's a big melt out, so the snow starts to rot and get really soft, and it and it gets cold at night, so it's hard in the morning, and you can walk on top of it. But then, as the day goes on, you'll sink in. You'll post hole, and I was post holing up to my knees, and the snow was coming over, you know, coming over the top of my shoes. So basically, you just, you know, within it took about 90 minutes before my feet were soaked, and there's not too much you can do about that. Um, I am gonna probably wear snow gaiters if that's the situation, if uh, if it's just constant post holing, and uh, it makes for really slow going, uh, but. But, you know, that's one of the things you got to get through. If it's icy, we use um, – people are going to – thru-hikers are either going to use full-out full, full out crampons, which have the big spikes, um, or they're use, most of them are going to use micro spikes. So I have, I have Cthulhu micro spikes, and uh, I'm not going to need them down in the desert, so I'm going to ship them up to the to – Kennedy Meadows is the like the portal of the Sierras. So, And the other piece of gear is an ice axe for self-arrest. So if you're on a steep slope and you slip – you could just keep slide if it's if it's icy on that slope. You could just slide and keep going all the way down and smack into uh, trees or rocks or into a lake, a freezing lake down at the bottom. And it could be, you know, the run out could be hundreds of feet or it could be a thousand feet. You could just literally, literally, you could slide off the mountain. So you have foot traction and you have an ice axe. Yeah, ice axe would be helpful, I think. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So. Then, so you're talking about, okay, we talked about your socks and shoes. What type of pants or type of leggings are you going to have, you know, like shorts that you can zip on and off, like hiking gear, like pants? I have, you know, I haven't completely decided. I have regular hiking pants like Columbia Convertible, and I can pull them off to make them shorts. Um, I'm probably going to wear long pants all the time, though, because there's so many sticklers and things in the desert. That drives me, that drives me crazy. And uh, you have less chance of getting ticks on your legs than... Uh, and then when it gets wet um, up in the snow, then I'll probably use snow gaiters based on my, my little um, experiment out here on the East Coast because I was soaking wet and cold really, really fast. Um, not everybody not everybody wears long pants or uses gaiters, though. It's, you know, again, up in the Sierras in, uh, in July, it can be really beautiful weather and warm during the day. It can be 70 degrees up there. So it looks kind of strange when you watch the videos and see the pictures of people out there in shorts shorts and, and, and trail running shoes and there and it's just this giant snow field up in the mountains but it's it's warm their feet are wet they just accept it and uh, it's other than that it, it's warm but then it gets really cold at night so you're constantly adjusting you're adjusting your layers and adjusting your gear and changing out to dry socks and, and so on okay so then let's let's get to the food plan because I know we don't eat it like but that's all right. <laughs> Someday, <laughs> what is your food plan? I mean, because are you you're gonna have some type of way to heat up your food? Are you using dried food? What type of food are you gonna be using? Well, there's two ways uh, you can go about that. You can go stoveless, or you can take a stove with you. And I think the majority are taking a stove. I decided to go stoveless because it just uh, it's less stuff to carry. Um, it's gonna be less stuff to clean, and you know I don't have to worry about fire and and, re and resupplying on fuel. Just 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 food. So, plus I'm not that, I'm not all that picky and I can, I'm really capable of eating plain food. From all those years of bodybuilding diet, it was a pretty uh, regimented and strict diet. It doesn't have to be if you track calories and macros, but for me it was a really strict diet. So, I got used to eating really plain food and I can do the same thing on this trip. And uh, I'm going to try my best to make it as healthy as possible and it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Like in terms, see there's the quantity of food you got to get in and there's the quality of food. So, with, with, the, with the quality, I'm going to try to eat a lot of the same things that I usually eat. I eat oatmeal once or twice a day, every day, and I have for the last 20 years. It's just my regular breakfast, and uh, oatmeal happens to be a hiker food, and if people have a cook system, they'll cook it up so it's warm. But for me, you can eat oatmeal just by adding water to it. So what I'm going to do, it's not quite enough calories, the oatmeal by itself, so I'll add raisins, and sometimes I might add nuts, so it's kind of like a musulai. 
So I could have one serving of oatmeal with raisins, and we add the raisin. We add the dried fruit, and maybe add the nuts. That could get it up to 800, 900 calories in that one meal. Okay. So if I eat that once or twice a day, that's one meal. Um, rice that's been pre-cooked, like the Success brand or Minute Rice, it's already been cooked. So then all you have to do is add water, and it's not ready to eat instantly, but you can put it in a, a rehydration jar. Let it sit for two hours, and in two hours it's soaked up all the water and it's ready to eat. And it's cold, so it'd probably be nicer if it was hot. But you know, so there's so there's rice, and then for protein, um, fi fish, tuna, tuna or salmon packets. The foil packets are available just about everywhere, even out on the trail, even in the little towns. You know, buy a little salmon or or, uh, or tuna packets. So I'll have uh, the carbohydrate and, and the protein. It's tough to get vegetables. Really tough. So I'm just going. You know, most people get into town, and the first thing you want to do is go straight to the burger. Or the you know the giant you know three pound stack of pancakes or whatever. But I'm going to make sure that I get fruits and vegetables when I have you know at every opportunity because there's not going to be a lot of a lot of that on the trail. It just doesn't keep you know people people some people dehydrate their food and ship it all in advance. But I'm just again like I said I'm going to think about this as getting as a bunch of little day hikes day hikes linked together. I want to get from one spot to the next. When I know that I'm going to be out in the middle of nowhere, which is especially up in Oregon and Washington, part of the Cascade Range. You have a long time in between resupply spots, and some of them are backcountry. They're like resorts, like mountain resorts that aren't even, if they're not, they're either ski lodges that are open in the winter or they're not even open in the winter. And they open up in the summer and they're just in the backcountry, and they maybe have a little country store, uh, but very little selection. So they accept mail packages. So when you know you're going to be going to one of those places, usually what you'll do is buy your food in advance. Um, along the trail and ship it up the trail and you have to do so we don't have to do that very much in california because we're up there on the crest of of uh you know the all the mountains in southern california but you're just a little ways away from all the major towns and cities so you can you can hop off at any time and go resupply pretty often but that's not the case when you're way way up further north so it does take some planning for sure. And you're you're right, because I lived in Oregon. I went to college in Oregon, and it rains a lot in Washington State. I mean, 10 months out of the year, I think it's pretty wet. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you have to definitely plan ahead. So so as far as your training, I mean, it sounds like you, you should feel confident in your ability, at least physically. I mean, is there any concern there Yeah, I'm ready. All? I'm ready to go now. No, no concern. Okay. Yeah, I have a lot of the same concerns that other people do, but being in shape um, to do this is not one of them because I've already done it. I just figured I need to think about what my toughest day would be like yeah. out on the trail um, physically and do it do it now in advance. So I've been spending, you know, my training really started last year. I, I day hiked almost a thousand miles in California, wow. all over California. Yeah. Uh, I had many days when I hiked 20 to 25 miles. There was one day I did 32 miles. Um, the only difference was I didn't have a heavy pack on. I just had a day pack on because, uh, you know, every morning I woke up in a nice bed and slept in a nice bed. There was no no overnights at all. Uh, so it was just day hiking. But I did long hikes, so I knew I could do the distance. Right. So what I had to do, and I did, did the elevation too. I did, uh, I day hiked Mount Whitney I, uh, in one day. Um, it took 12 hours wow. up and down. And most people don't do that, not only because it's physically demanding, but um, you can get altitude sickness. And I saw I passed a lot of people that had to go back down because they got altitude sickness. And I felt that I felt the altitude over thirteen thousand feet. It was hard to breathe, but I, I got some symptoms when I got to the summit. I had a, had a headache. Okay. But that that was training that prepared me. You know, prepared me for what's coming. And I knew what it was like to do six thousand feet of elevation gain in one day, mm -hmm. and gain and loss. You know, the whole trail is four hundred sixty thousand feet of elevation gain and loss over the whole twenty six hundred miles. It's unbelievable, wow. um, uh, physical physical challenge. But uh, I started training with the pack this year. That's what I did different. I figured um, I, I just, even if I'm only going out for one day or two days or three days, I'm going to fill the pack up to what it's going to weigh when I'm out on the Pacific Crest Trail. Mm -hmm. So the full pack weight, you know, usually it's going to be between 24 and 28 pounds when you count all the base weight plus food plus water. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's heavy water carries or a whole week of food needed, it might get closer to 30 pounds. So I've just loaded up my pack and gone out on the Appalachian Trail. And I've been doing 22, 24. Um, last week I did 26 miles, uh, and it was hard. It was, it was, it was, it was tough. But yeah. I know, I know I can do it now. I don't have yeah. to go down. Some people will show up at the Mexican border and they figure, uh, well, I'm going to train on the trail. You know, my day one I'll do 10 miles. I just and then I'll go 12 the next day and I'll go 14. And then, and it works for some people. It actually does. But oh. for some people, it really backfires and. You know, they're out with plantar fasciitis or the horrible shin splints or, you know, their feet are just completely hamburger. Or, you know, they, a lot of people drop out really, 
really, really early on because they didn't train. Right. Wow. So when you're out and all these miles and miles of hikes alone, what is what are you thinking about? Like, what are your thoughts? Are you just, I mean, because that's a lot of time for thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious. It's, it's interesting. You know what? It's just, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of it's just being in the moment and just just kind of taking everything in. You know, sometimes sometimes your mind wanders and you think about all kinds of things. But I'm just trying to, you know, when I'm out hiking, I just taking in the scenery and listening to the sounds and and the birds. And you do kind of have to pay attention. You know, it's not a good idea to take your Walkman out, your your iPod, your uh, put headphones in because there's so many rattlesnakes in, uh, especially in Southern California. But they, I mean, they can be found all over the trail, and you know they'll they'll warn you with that. With that rattle, but not if you can't hear it, you know you can step step right on it. So, do you have any contingency plans for a, any type of emergency? Like, if there is, like, if you had a severe injury and you don't have, I mean, is what do you do in that type of situation? Um, well, I have a personal locator beacon. Okay. So I hope I never have to use it. A lot of people have um, uh, an in reach or a spot device, and those uh, are devices that have uh, not only they're for search and rescue. And they'll, they'll use a GPS or satellite, so, you know, even if your phone's not working. I mean, if, if you have a phone signal, you can call 911. Sure. But if you're getting way out in the backcountry and something really bad happens, you just turn on your, your uh, PLB and helps on the way. A search and rescue is on the way. Okay. Uh, so hopefully I never have to use that, but that, yeah. that's, it's in the pack. <laughs> that's good to know. And then as far as your rest, so, like, how many hours is this going to take you hiking 26 miles a day? I mean – Versus sleep, I mean, curious there. It's going to depend on the terrain okay. and the weather. Okay. Uh, if it's cool, if there's cloud cover, and it's not exceptionally steep, like it's not five, six, seven thousand feet to climb in a day, maybe it's only a couple. You know, those are those are days that I could do three miles an hour, three and a half miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So if I went nonstop, ten hours, I mean, that's a thirty mile day. Mm -hmm. But every day is not going to be like that. Okay. It's probably going to be somewhere between tw covering be somewhere between twenty and thirty miles a day, which is going to depend a lot on the on the terrain. Okay. I'm really going to try for twenty five, twenty six miles a day, so I can make it before the the snow flies in in Washington. Right. And probably I'll be hiking ten to twelve hours a day. Wow. There's um. There's really two different types of people that do this. There's people who like to camp, mm -hmm. and so they'll hike less. Less hours during a the day. They'll start earlier in the year. They, they maybe people already started a month ago, a month even five, six weeks ago. Some people started really early, and they don't do as many miles. And they like to camp out in a nice spot and just hang out, or um, they like to take in the trail town experience. So they'll take a lot of um, zero days is when you you have a complete rest day. So you're spending two nights in town. Mm. Usually you'll find a motel, and, and people will take their you know some people will take their time. I like to walk. I like to hike. I'm bored out of my mind if I'm just sitting in a tent. I, so for me, my tent is just my shelter at night and a place to sleep okay. at night. So, you know, if I can walk 12, 13 hours a day, I would walk 14 hours a day. It depends on how much my body can handle. Right. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm going at that amount of distance and spending that much time, then it's going to be a matter of not getting too skinny and just eating enough because I'll be burning so many calories to do that. Yeah, how many calories do you think you're going to need a day? Uh, I'll probably be burning about 5,000 calories a day. Um, on average, and then on tough days, it's going to be a lot more like 6,000. Okay. Uh, I've seen some estimates using different calorie calculators or looking at my electronics. And I don't know, some days, the, some of the biggest days I've had with a lot of elevation, like Mount Whitney, one of my electronics said I burned 7,000 calories. So and I don't know if that's accurate or not, but uh, you, it's, it's going to be tough to uh, not lose a lot of weight. And it's pretty much I'm going to have to accept operating in a deficit. Because if, even if I could carry five or 6,000 calories of food every day, uh, that's a lot of extra weight. Mm -hmm. So if I can, if I can um, carry, say, 4,000 calories of food uh, per day, uh, and then when I get to town, um, I'm, I'm taking either like a half day, uh, half day of rest or uh, well, occasionally a full day of rest. I won't be burning very many calories. Then I'll just try to eat back as much of the calories as I can on those days. So I'll get a surplus. So I'll be in, in a deficit most of the time when I'm, cause I'm be on the trail most of the time, mm -hmm. and then I'll eat up in a surplus when I get the chance. It's going to be a really interesting diet, <laughs> really, really interesting. And I'm just going to watch my weight, make sure I don't lose an unhealthy amount of weight. Right. Wow. Okay. So now as far as, I mean, what are you, as far as mindset, what have you had to do with your mind? I mean, because that's a long time in isolation too. I mean, do you, are you worried about that at all that you're, I mean, you're social. The isolation, no. No? 
No, you know what? I'm I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. You know, I really I mean I love people, but I don't like crowds. You know what I mean? And I like and I like to spend time with people, but if, if I spend too much time around people, then I need to like go and get my private space. It's just an it's an introvert thing. So so I really I really enjoy the you know the long stretches. I remember you know last year up in uh, like the Mount Shasta wilderness on some of the trails up there in Castle Crags. I, mean, I hardly passed the person. Hours would go by and I didn't pass a single person. It's kind of an odd feeling at first, but uh, I I, I kind of like it. It's it's really it's really kind of peaceful. And then when I see people, I you know I enjoy bumping into them. Hikers are really really friendly. It's a really it's a really cool community. And sometimes if you haven't seen a human. This has happened, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen a human for miles and miles and hours and hours, and you bump into somebody, it's like, oh, cool. And you, and you both, like, make eye contact and stop, and, this is, and, and you, have, you can see, you can, you can tell a day hiker from a, a through hiker, a backpacker, just by looking at their gear, usually. So, you know, you see, immediately you see something in common and you start talking, and, you know, if, if you're coming different directions... You know, it's like, hey, what was, you know, what did you pass? Where's the last water? And, you know, what's this like? And what's that like? So it's, it's um, you know, it's a lot of alone time, but there's a social aspect, too. Okay. So it's like seeing an American in a foreign country. You know, you're like, oh, someone who speaks English. You understand, you like your instant yeah. buddies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now as far as, <clears throat> are there any specific challenges or worries that you have been thinking about that you're... A little bit. Uh, yeah. A little bit. The, the big the big worry on everybody's mind this year is the snow, okay. because we all all of us who knew we were going to do the PCT in 2017 have been watching the snow and the weather since January, and January and February was an epic winter in the Sierras. Uh, Mammoth Lakes uh, set records. I mean, they had at one point I think they had like 700 inches of snow. Uh, Tahoe. Um, even up into the California Cascades, uh, around Lassen Park, there's record there was record snowfall, and it was on target to have the highest snow pack and snow water content in history. And then in March, it just tapered off a little bit. So instead of being a, a, an all-time record, it's just the highest snow in the last 10 years. So the last big snow year was 2011, and that was a big story, 2011, and there's documentaries online about it. Uh, if anybody wants to look it up, there's one called As It Happens, the Pacific Crest Trail. And that shows the conditions in 2011 and how hard it was for people to get through the, the Sierra snowpack because spring up in the Sierra, it really doesn't start. The snowmelt, usually the safe time to enter the Sierra is around June 15th in the average snow year. But then it, then it starts melting. And then the third week in June, it's really melting. And by the first week in July, if you look at the charts, then it's just like full, full-on melt. And by July, usually it clears out a lot. But this year, everything is going to get pushed back. So really, the spring in the Sierra uh, Nevada Mountains is going to be July. Hmm. And so getting through the snow is one thing. And it's one of the reasons I decided to start late, because there's people that are getting up there um, close to the edge of the Sierra right now, and they're deciding whether they should even go forward. They're either going to have to just hang out for two or three weeks and wait for the snow to melt, or some people are going to get off the trail. You know, they'll go to they'll go to L.A. or something, go somewhere, go to the beach and just hang out, go find another trail for a few weeks and wait, and then go back and pick up, you know, right? And so they pick up in their footsteps where they left off, but they may not be able to get through. So if you, but if you start too late, um, then you have all the snow melt that creates these gigantic um, creeks, flooded creeks and creek crossings. And so that's probably the, uh, the single biggest concern is fording, the creeks because it's all the snow melt is melting off the mountains so getting through the snow this year and, and crossing the creek safely is um it's it's actually pretty it's a, it's pretty um stressful thinking about it but you're just going to take it take it one step at a time and, and be safe be really safe don't take any chances you know i'm not a i'm not a mountaineer i'm not a trained mountaineer you know, i'm a hiker and most of the people who are through hiking this it's the same thing they're just hikers so just got to be careful going up uh going up when you get up into the high elevations and that snow are there hiking? Are you using hiking poles for anything like that? Or just I'm probably going to take trekking poles. Yeah, I'm. I'm still. I, that's one of the things I've been doing this year is, is testing out all my gear. I go out on the Appalachian Trail, which there's trail is just an hour, hour and fifteen minutes from here. I'm going out and testing the different shoes and and uh, and different um, sleep system and stuff. And I've been testing out trekking poles, and it really um, saves your knees a lot on the downhills and the uphills. Uh, I'm undecided because on level ground, I just don't really see any use for them at all. They're just kind of a pain, and I stick them in my pack, and then that's more weight to carry. So, But most people are going to take them because it's going to help you keep your balance um, crossing streams, and it's going to help, you know, through the through the snow, walking across a slope to keep your balance. Uh, you know, and there's other multiple uses for, for trekking poles. So most people use them. 
Yeah, whacking wild animals. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, then you think about bears in animals. I mean, are you bringing bear spray or anything like that as far as, like, personal safety gear? Well, the bears that we encounter on the Pacific Crest Trail are all black bears. So there's no grizzly bears, which would be different if, it, if we were talking about the Continental Divide Trail, getting up there, um, you know, Wyoming and Montana. Yeah. The grizzly bears are the more aggressive bears, and that's when people take bear, bear spray in grizzly bear country. So nobody's really worried about a bear attacking them. Everybody's worried about the bear taking your food. And it's um, good um, etiquette to take care of your food properly and store your food properly as well because if a bear gets into your food, it becomes spoiled and becomes a problem bear. And they had that problem in Yosemite years ago, which is why Yosemite's national, when you're in, the, the trail does pass through Yosemite National Park, and they have really strict rules about your food storage. So when you go through, it's the same in Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Park, and basically the whole Sierra range, you have to carry a bear canister. So when you get to the edge of the Sierra, you ship yourself your Sierra gear, your, your spikes and your ice axe, and you also ship yourself a bear canister. And so then all your food goes in a bear canister, and it's a bear-proof canister. They can't get into it. Okay. And I guess, do they smell? They can't, it probably keeps the odor contained as well? Yeah, it keeps the odor contained. And, you know, we there's odor-proof, well, there's semi-odor-proof um, plastic bags. They're like glorified Ziploc bags, but they're really designed to, to keep keep the smells in really well, and, you, and it's a good idea to store your food that way. You really got to be careful with your food. Like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, eat in your tent. Uh, you, shouldn't have, you don't want to have the smell of food around your camp. So I'll eat dinner an hour before I get to camp, and I don't have to. Basically, when I get to camp, I just set up camp and sleep, and that's it. Okay. And uh, even in the morning, I'll, I won't eat in, in the morning until I'll get started, and I'll eat somewhere else away from it. So the smell's not in my, on all my gear. Oh, I see. So you really got, yeah, you really got to be careful the, of the bears and those those little marmots. They'll steal all your food too. <laughs> They're really cute, but they uh, they'll steal you. You turn turn your back for for one minute on your food and your food is gone. So you got to protect your food. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no, the the trek hiking poles are really helpful because maybe one of your future endeavors should be hiking all the 14ers in Colorado. That would be another good goal. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the sound of that. Yeah, because yeah, I've. I haven't even started yet. I'm thinking, what am I going to do to top this? <laughs> all, I think there's like 50 some odd number of 54, 56 of them. You could do them all in a summer or something. Um, yeah. We've done a few, and those are, for me, essential for the balance issue. And, um, yeah, it's definitely slowing down, and it's not so hard on the, the legs. It's huge. Um, so then what do you do with, like, journaling and keeping track and pictures? How are you going to share with us your your journey and where you are and if we need to come and send you more food or something. <laughs> I will take supplies of food at any time, anywhere. <laughs> send food. Thank you. For uh, pictures, I'm just going to use my iPhone. I'm not a professional photographer or a professional journalist, and the cameras and the iPhones, I just got an iPhone 7 just last year, and they, they're getting better. So it's pretty decent. And, again, um, everybody who through hikes wants to control their weight. And a lot of photographers carry a lot of gear, and it's just it's a load. It's a real load to carry. There are, so basically, it's it's really only the professional photographers and journalists that are taking a whole bunch of uh, camera gear. Some people are creating um, documentaries. I know there's at least two people on the trail in 2017 that are going to doing video documentaries. Um, so they're taking a bunch of gear. But I'm just going to take pictures with my iPhone. Uh, I'll upload them to my Facebook um, friends page, and I have an Instagram account that I'm normally not on social media that much. I'm not on Instagram that much myself. But the, the reason I'm going to use Instagram for this trip is because I'll have my phone in my pocket or in my side belt pouch of my pack, and you know, just within arm's reach. And I can just, without even taking my pack off, without even stopping, I can take a picture and push a couple buttons and it's on Instagram. So I'll be sharing a lot of the photos there. And uh, there is a hiking. That's going to be uh, Instagram forward slash. The, the handle is Meathead Hikes. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to keep a trail journal. I'm not sure how detailed it will be, but there's a new website. Um, Outsideways. Oh, outs yes, thank Outsideways. you. Outsideways.com. Yep, I'm going to keep a trail journal um, there. And uh, if I'm really, really busy and I don't have time to do too much journaling, because it's just going to be, like I said, I'm going to be hiking all day, putting in full days, so it'll just be at night in camp. Um, what I'll do is I'll keep a, a short journal, and then when it's all over, I'll write a book, because cause that's what I do. That's what I, li I like to write. So, you know, at the end, maybe I'll, if, it's, if it was worthy, if there was a worthy adventure to write about, I'll put it all I'm together. I'm sure it's it. going to be a worthy adventure. <laughs> just the survival is worthy to talk about. Um, 
so when when you had mentioned that some people were uh, had some type of cameras, is there actual like you know how you can tune in online and see there's a camera and you can see like a bald eagle's having nesting and about to have? Is there any Pacific Crest Trail um, cameras along the way that you can see different things? I'm just curious about that. Are there other cameras you know positions yeah, out there? Yeah, like you know you can log on and see like here like if I wanted to look at the beach, uh, one of the beaches right. in Florida. Only a few, only a few spots, and, okay. and not not so much on the trail because the trail's so far in the backcountry. Um, there's a, a Mount Whitney cam, but that's down in the town, down in the valley in Lone oh. Pine. So, okay. you know, if you want to see in real time what the weather conditions are like up there on Mount Whitney, you can look at the Lone Pine um, camera. But mainly, um, <laughs> sorry about that. Okay. Um, something's going on out there. <laughs> Mainly all the video coverage that you see is journalists go on and make documentaries or um, YouTubers, vloggers, you know, they'll, they'll take a good video camera with them and okay. sometimes they'll attach it on the end of their trekking pole and, and right. give you the, the panorama. There's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of that on YouTube now, a lot of, of uh, homemade documentaries and actually more professionally done documentaries. Yeah, that, that's going to be really fun to watch watch you go along and so when you um are hiking are you eating and walking at the same time or do you sometimes stop? yeah okay. yeah uh, um i've always been actually my whole life i followed the bodybuilding style of diet which is kind of constantly eating you know five or six times a day okay. and uh but it's on the trail, it won't be as convenient to make everyone um, a kind of like a, a quote meal. There's a lot of snacking, so okay. I really don't like using all, all, all the bars. There's not that many healthy ones you can get, especially on the road. But I'll try to find the healthiest ones with the most whole food in them that I can, okay. and um, have have those on the go. So so maybe there'll be three meals or at the most four their whole food, and then there'll be snacks, um, trail mix. I mean, there's a re reason the trail mix is so popular is because, you know, you got nuts and seeds and uh, dried fruit, and it's just really calorie-dense. So without even stopping, you can try to keep those calories up and, and get the 4,000 or 5,000 or whatever you need that way just by constantly munching. Wow. You, have you heard of Beet Boost? No, no. You might want to look that up. It's kind of a cool thing. It's, so it's a dehydrated pack of uh, beets. And they actually, there's some really good studies with beets um, as far as you're able to get, because it's a precursor, it helps with the nitric oxide production and then the dilating right. of the arteries. And you actually, and runners, we used it with my youngest, who was a cross-country runner. And he would drink, um, we had real beets, would beet, make beet juice. And he would use it a couple of hours before he would go run his trail. And what they say is that you use less oxygen and you're more oxygen efficient, so, and less fatigue. So, Something to think about. They come in these little tiny packs. Maybe. Interesting. Interesting. Something to, and then there's a little few calories there too. Maybe sixty calories. So, um, something to to try out. So, I'll check it out. A lot yeah. of people, um, a lot of people who through hike, uh, their whole uh, attitude towards food changes the way they look at food because they start to look at calories per ounce because it's it's all about the calories and the calorie that density. Is, yep. You know, so we, so everybody knows that the macadamia nuts are on the top of the list because it's 160 calories per ounce and. <laughs> You know, and those and those tuna packets. Okay, you need to get some protein in every day, but no, that's only like seventy calories per ounce. So it's not very, yeah. you know. So really, a lot of dietary fat and a lot of a lot of carbs you got to take in. So yeah. it's funny because you know, when I used to compete in bodybuilding during the, you know, there's two phases to bodybuilding. There is a time when I'm eating a lot, I'm trying to gain muscle mass, right. but then there's a time when I'm dieting to get lean and get ripped. And I'm watching the calorie density in the opposite direction. And I want the least calorie dense, you know, all, all the way to the point of, you know, lots, lots and lots more green vegetables and egg, just the egg whites because there's less calories per serving. And, and, uh, and now it's the exact opposite. Now it's high. The, what's the highest calorie density food that I can carry with the least weight? Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely, it is, uh, that is, that's going to be quite a mind shift for you to start thinking about this different way about food. I mean, because you've lived this for 30 years and then, I mean, it's a very different yeah, it's weird. It's it's going to be weird, and the change. You know, what what's going to happen in the change in my body? I'm just I'm just ready to not worry about it for the first time in my life. You know, the the psychology of um of bodybuilders and fitness people. It's really interesting. It honestly sometimes borders on, um, if not eating disorder, but image disorders. The way people, whether it's it may, yeah, it, it may not be clinical. It may just be a you know, it it it, it may not be a, a, a real psycho psychological issue, but you know, a lot of bodybuilders, it's really kind of a big deal wow. how they Aesthetics. look, and, and mm -hmm. yeah, and this is a complete change. And I and I, I 
you know, over the last year that I've been planning this, I just came to peace with it all. So like whatever happens, if I get skinny, I get skinny. I'm just, I'm going to do this for the experience and the adventure. And right. there's this thing called muscle memory. Yeah. And it's real. It's real. If you I spend, believe it. I believe if it. If you have spent your whole life training, uh, weight training and building muscle um, and you lose it, you get it back a lot faster than it took you to build it in the first place. Right. So, I mean, I lost weight last summer after hiking, day hiking a thousand miles. I lost quite, quite a bit. And it took me about, it took me a while to put the, the leg mat muscle mass back on. You know, my legs were fit. They were really in shape from all the miles I put in, but they lost some of the size and strength. Right. It took me about, it took me about eight to 10 weeks to get my legs back where they were. So it wasn't that long. And my upper body was about five weeks, five, six weeks. I was back where I was. Wow. Wow. I mean, this is, it just fascinates me, the whole thing. It really does. Um, is there anything else that I didn't cover as far as what you think you'll be doing or thinking? I mean, is there some? I think you there? covered everything. I would, I would almost, <laughs> I would almost guess that you were a through hiker because you asked all the questions. Done that, a lot of hiking, not through yeah. hiking, but a lot of hiking. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really beyond the fact that I'm just fascinated with what you're doing. I'm just I'm jealous that I can't do something like that right now. I've got too many children in graduate schools. Ah, there we yeah. go. And, um, yeah, this is this is amazing. Um, so, okay, let's go over this again. So you're on Instagram at Meathead Hikes. Yep. And then you're on um, OutsideWays.com. Yep, also, it'll, be under, it'll be categorized under um, Meathead, Meathead Hikes or Pacific Crest Trail Journals. Okay. And then your Facebook page or your personal? Um, I'm probably going to post some pictures on Facebook, um, okay. time permitting, if it's easy to put it on Instagram and Facebook at the same time. But I'll probably put that on my friends page. Okay. You know, and if somebody wants to send me a friend request, they can. I still have room on there. My uh, main burn the fat uh, Facebook page, I'll probably keep to the fitness stuff. Okay, gotcha. Oh yeah. So how are you going? Are you going to be keeping up with that while you're? Yeah. Hiking? Yeah, yeah. I the other piece of gear I'm taking, my and the other piece of luxury gear I'm taking is a iPad. Because oh. there's only so much I can do with uh, on the on the iPhone, right. and I can just got a keyboard on the iPad, and it's a lot easier for me to manage uh, the website. Okay. So, I will have downtime every night, and I will be taking occasional zero days in towns. And when I go in town to resupply, I'll have a little bit of downtime. Okay. So even though the whole idea is kind of get out into nature and get into the backcountry, you know, through hiking today, everybody is electronically connected, and they're using their GPS and they're using the app. So it's not like you want to get away from the technology. So. Uh, I'm not. I decided I'm not going to try to just unplug this wow. time. You know, I'll have long periods of time when I'm unplugged and there's no cell phone connection. But when I do have it, I'll be I'll be logging on. You know, I love our our Burn the Fat Inner Circle community is fantastic, and I'm going to stay plugged in there. And um, and our and our team, my team has got my back to keep the site uh, up to date, keep everything running when when I am out way out in the woods. <laughs> unplugged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, and so I got the meathead hikes, and so I'm gonna. That's fantastic. And you, will you let us know if you do, if you need us to send food? I'll send food. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I might to. take I might take anybody up who offers on that. <laughs> no, I really seriously. So what do we do? We just look for like little towns along the way, or how do we do that? There's well, all those places that I mentioned where you can ship your own food to mm -hmm. you. Someone else can ship to you too. Okay. You know, some people have family and friends back home that are helping them with their resupply. Um, so it's basically okay. Let's see, where am I going to be uh, on such and such a date? Oh, I'm going to be in um, Brightwood, California. Okay, there's a post office there, and the hotel I'm staying at. They accept hiker packages, and okay. so that's basically you just figure out where you're going to be and what the address is. All right. So definitely offline. I'll have to figure out at least one place <laughs> and send you something good. So cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your your day to and you know share with us your journey that's coming up. It's pretty cool. And then we have to do this when you're done. Sure. And please, because who knows? That might be a two hour podcast with all those stories. <laughs> like, it's fascinating me. Um, again, uh, we really appreciate. And again, you know, Tom, I really like to um, acknowledge people beyond what you're doing here and just kind of sharing with us the beauty of nature and, and, you know, getting out and doing something different, but it takes a lot of courage to do that. Number one, but two is just, you know, thanks for everything that you've done for the, your community, because I mean, I've been a part of that community and it's been, a, it's been something that I've used to, you know, um, help with my boys who are now 21 and 18 and, um, not so much my daughter, but definitely the boys and, uh, you know, teaching them about healthy weightlifting and techniques and stuff. I mean, so I want to thank you for that. And it's fun to tell, thank you. tell you that sort of in person on Skype. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.